1: Almost five years ago, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, a British citizen, was visiting her family in Iran with her baby daughter when she was arrested and imprisoned for spying.
2: The British Iranian woman imprisoned by Iran on charges
3: of sedition. is undergone solitary confinement. It's usually made worse by extreme sensory deprivation.
1: She was charged with attempting to overthrow the government of Iran But now, The Times has uncovered a very different reason for her incarceration.
2: Nazanin was explicitly told that she was being held in connection with a 40-year debt owed by Britain to Iran.
1: Has the British government done enough to help Nazanin? And would they step in
3: if any British citizen was falsely imprisoned by a foreign government? I was shocked that they would say, even in the case where a British citizen is being tortured, that they have no obligations. Essentially, you've got more rights if you trip up on the pavement compared to if you're taken hostage by another government over your government's debt.
1: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the truth behind Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe's imprisonment in Iran.
3: My name's Richard Ratcliffe, I'm the husband of Nazanin Zagai Ratcliffe and I've been campaigning on Nazanin's case now for almost five years. Uh, Nazanin was taken prisoner back in April of 2016 when she went to Iran for a family holiday with our daughter Gabriela who at that point was 22 months and she's still being held in in Iran to this day.
1: The Iranian authorities arrested Nazanin at the airport in Tehran in April 2016 just as she was about to get on a flight back home to London with her daughter, Gabriella, There's footage of the moment when she's apprehended. We can see her in Tehran's Imam Khomeini airport with her baggage trolley handing over her passport. She looks confused at first, and then she looks scared. It's hard to watch, particularly for Richard.
3: I've just seen bits of it. Um, part of the way I cope with this is, is to, to not watch interviews I do on telly, to not watch the propaganda that's, that's done about Nazneen. That footage, which was of her being arrested, didn't appear for the first two years of her arrest. And they've edited Gabriella out of, of them, so you can't see the fact that, that she's also there. That footage was done for two reasons. One, to be scary, you know, that actually for all ordinary Iranians watching on telly or Iranians in the diaspora around the world watching to think, listen, these guys can arrest anyone and are all powerful. And at the same time, to make it look like that they've been monitoring her for a long time, where, where of course they haven't been. They just have a camera on the guy that arrests people at the airport.
1: Nazanin's parents were asked to take Gabriella and return to their home in Tehran they were told that Nazanin was being held to answer questions because of a problem
3: with her passport. Then she disappeared, and she disappeared for a number of days. And it was a number of days before she was allowed to call her mum to say she was alive. And those were probably the hardest days, just because your imagination really starts to run wild. So it was a great relief when she did call and say, listen, I'm helping these people with um, investigations, it'll all be over soon, and they're feeding me well, and they're treating me kindly, No. Probably a bit more time before I realised, you know, to what extent that wasn't true and that that she was being kept in solitary and being interrogated and being pressured to confess to all sorts of things.
1: Nazanin was accused of trying to topple the Iranian regime and of being a spy. But we now know that from very early on, it was clear that the real reason for her arrest was very different.
3: I mean, when you're accusing a mum and a baby on holiday of trying to overthrow the regime... It's obviously nonsense. It's obviously deliberately provocative. So It always felt that there's something else going on. We were told by her interrogators that she was being held to put pressure on the British government to make an agreement. So we were scrambling around trying to work out what agreement and what exchange and and so on. Slowly, they began to piece together the historic backdrop to
1: Nazanin's arrest, a picture of old debts and geopolitical brinkmanship.
3: In the end, it was made clear to her and, and clear to us outside that she was being held over a debt dispute between the British government and the Iranian government, it was confirmed by the interrogators and then by the judiciary and then by the judge in charge of parole. And the British government denied that to our faces for quite a long time. basically told us we were making it up um, and it wasn't true. They don't now, but they certainly did for a long period.
1: It wasn't until 2017 that Richard really understood the extent to which Nazanin's fate was tied to the outstanding debt. It started you know, when uh, then Foreign Secretary we, 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 Boris Johnson so, misspoke we'll in the House of Commons.
3: We want uh, we want uh, them released. And But when, when I look at the, and I have raised this case many times now with uh, Jabhat Zarif. And... In terms of me being sure that this is what it was about, it would have been the, the subtext to the famous Boris Johnson gaffe in, in Parliament in 2017. When you look at what Nazanin zagari Ratcliffe was, was doing, it's just, you know, she she was simply teaching people uh, journalism, as I understand it, she, at the very limit. She was, and um, I'm very, I hope that a way forward can be found. He mistakenly said in Parliament that Nazanin had been training journalists when she'd just been on holiday. And the Iranians reacted remarkably strongly to it and that they took her back to court and threatened to double a sentence and so on. Um, What was going on alongside that was that there was a court case for the debt that was in secret that got adjourned without resolving it.
1: Richard started to realise that the twists and turns of Nazneen's case were reflecting what was happening in the courts as Britain and
3: Iran argued over the repayment of this historic debt. Once we knew that it was happening and we knew that Lots of the crazy things that happened in Nazanin's case made a lot more sense when actually, you know, we're essentially a percussion instrument in what is this debt dispute that has its own court case and its own rhythms. Since that point, every time that court case came up around the debt, something bad would be threatened to us or would happen to us.
1: Tell us about the debt, because I think for most people, this is a part of recent history that just isn't really common knowledge.
3: The debt dates back to the 1970s. Under the previous Iranian government, so under the Shah, the UK had a very close relationship. The UK was developing a number of tanks for Iran and building various military establishments.
1: But then, 1979 brought the Iranian revolution, and that changed everything.
3: The Iranian capital Tehran, a city scarred by rioting in angry protests against the Shah. And this is what happened in the streets below when they were taken over by huge crowds of demonstrators.
1: In 1976, in what was seen as a hugely lucrative deal for Britain and a symbol of Iran's economic might, the Shah's regime paid up front for 1,750 chieftain tanks. They were supposed to be the best tanks in the world and they were produced by a company owned by the British Ministry of Defence. By 1979, Iran had only taken delivery of 185 tanks. When the revolution happened, the contract was terminated, and Iran wanted its money back. And so began decades of legal wrangling. Iran took the UK to court over the debt in the 1990s, but the case wasn't settled
3: until 2009. By the time the court ruled in favour of Iran, and it had ruled in favour of Iran, sanctions were imposed. And the UK's position was, well, we, we can't pay the money back because of sanctions. And that has still been their position. It has remained a growing point of tension. And yeah, it has ended up with people being taken hostage over it. The
1: Americans have managed to repay debts to Iran under very similar circumstances.
3: Yes. So the US has both repaid debts and has brought back a number of people. I mean, I think the US is more willing to call people hostages and is more willing to make clear efforts to bring Americans home. The UK is almost gaslighted, if I'm honest. It's very reluctant to acknowledge the elephant in the room and to say, listen, it's been held over a British debt.
2: What is particularly egregious is that Britain then went on and sold the tanks that had been paid for already by Iran to Saddam Hussein, who used them against the Iranians.
1: That's The Times diplomatic correspondent Catherine Philp.
2: I don't think it is surprising that Iran has some trust issues with the UK.
1: She says the UK government still appears reluctant to settle the debt.
2: They're still fighting it. I mean, the original order for Britain to pay was in 2001 at the International Court of Arbitration in The Hague, and they lost their appeal in 2008. So over a decade has gone into fighting over the interest payable, and this is all tied, unfortunately, for Nazanin, to her fate because the rhythms of her mistreatment and her being called before court with additional charges all seem to beat to the rhythms of these hearings in London at which Britain and Iran are still fighting over the interest that is payable and indeed whether Britain should pay this debt at all, which every international court that we have access to has said is owed. I certainly personally would question why the taxpayer is still paying lawyers for the government £1.4 million a year to fight the case in the courts in London.
1: And just to be absolutely clear about this, the government has known for the past five years that Nazanin Zagari radcliffes fate hinges on, on that debt being repaid.
2: Well, that's a very interesting question, Manveen, because I think they must have, but they have never publicly acknowledged the linkage. Privately, they have told rich ratcliffe they are linked but they've there's no question that they know it there's no question of that i think there are parts of this story that very very few of us really know about right now i think there are things going on that we are not party to i would like to know the whole truth and i've tried to find it out the debt is a murky business it pertains to a murky spin-off company from the Ministry of Defence dating back to the 70s and 80s. And I, I just, I would love to find out more about what's really going on there.
1: I've spoken to some defence sources this morning who say one of the problems they've had in repaying the debt is that there are now sanctions. The Americans have introduced mm. these sanctions, so it's very hard to pay in cash. But what's surprising is the Americans themselves have repaid a yeah. similar debt.
2: Yeah. No, there's no problem paying in cash. They could airlift cash there tomorrow. Obama did so in payment of a very similar debt. The the issue is you can't pay through any banking channels because of US sanctions. Jeremy Hunt wrote a piece for the Times in which he said, if sanctions are the issue, why can't we pay in medicine? Mm -hmm. Why can't we pay in humanitarian supplies? Now, Jeremy Hunt was foreign secretary until quite recently, he would know that that is possible. I've consulted sanctions lawyers and they have said, yes, there are ways to pay. It's always the private excuse I'm given by officials. Oh, we can't pay it because of the sanctions. Yet everyone else, including now a former foreign secretary, says there are actually ways to do this.
1: As well as his intervention in The Times last week, Jeremy Hunt tried to help Nazneen whilst he was Foreign Secretary by deploying a highly unusual tool. He granted her diplomatic protection. It was the first time this had been done in living memory, and it recognised that this case had become a dispute between two governments.
2: I think Jeremy Hunt saw that this case was so egregious, and he needed to act to put a marker down that Britain would stand up for a citizen. And he came across in, in, enormous opposition in the Foreign Office for doing so. People asked him not to give Nazanin diplomatic protection. Really? He just felt it was extremely important to to set out Britain's position there, that You couldn't treat a British citizen this way without consequence.
1: Yet, despite the diplomatic protection, not much has changed for Nazanin. Catherine Philp had been in touch with Richard Ratcliffe to find out why, when another aspect of the story emerged.
2: And then he gave me this letter that the Foreign Office had written to his lawyers that I thought was completely explosive.
1: The letter, from the head of Consular Affairs at the Foreign Office says British citizens falsely accused overseas have no legal right to consular assistance. She adds that the government cannot investigate torture or mistreatment allegations.
2: It wasn't about Nazanin's case. It generalised the case. It said that no British citizen had any legal right to any assistance from the British state, and I found that extraordinary and so consequential to every British citizen that it made this case, you know, no longer just about Nazanin, but about anyone who thinks that their British passport means something when they travel abroad. I just felt like there was such a gap of expectation between what the average British citizen believes their rights to be and what the Foreign Office had so bleakly laid out to the Ratcliffe family that their help to a British citizen is at their discretion. They have no right to it.
1: That really isn't something that we're, we're led to believe. You know, wherever you are in the world, if you end up in trouble, normally you'd go straight to the embassy.
2: There are a lot of amazing consular staff out there in the world who do want to help British citizens. But, the, you know, there's a limit to what they can do if their hands are tied in this manner.
1: Isn't there a commitment from the government to help British citizens wherever they are? I mean, isn't, isn't that what it says in our passports?
2: It says, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires, in the name of Her Majesty, all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary.
1: But it turns out that's not really backed up by much.
2: Well, if Britain doesn't stand up for its citizens, then you send a message to countries that it's sort of okay to behave like this with a British citizen.
3: I was shocked that that they would say, even in a case where a British citizen is being tortured, that they have no obligations. Essentially, you've got more rights if you trip up on the pavement outside, you can sue the council, compared to if you're taken hostage by another government over your government's debt. The law is wrong there, but the law is what the law is. But, it, but as I say, I was surprised that even in the case of torture, there wasn't a sort of prevarication of whether it's real torture, it was just no, no, no rights, no obligations.
1: How has one family become a pawn in a geopolitical dispute? And is the Foreign Office doing enough to help? We'll have more on this story in just a moment. But if you'd like to access more insightful coverage of foreign affairs and diplomatic relations, then do subscribe to The Times and the Sunday Times today and get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
4: Planning for your next trip?
0: Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: Nazanin Zaghari-Ratcliffe was granted diplomatic protection by the British government, but have the Foreign Office done enough to enforce it? Has she received consular help from the British Embassy in Tehran?
2: They have never seen her, and their reasoning for that is that Iran does not recognise dual nationality and therefore will not grant access. Now, I think that held when she was in prison, but she's not in prison anymore. She's on release to her family home in Tehran. And the other day, the British Embassy sent a car there very kindly, carrying biscuits that her daughter Gabriella had baked for her in London. And the car dropped the biscuits off. Well, if that car can go and drop the biscuits off, why can't it drop off a consular official? Why are they so cowed by Iran's reaction? The timing is interesting because, of course, we are meant to be this sovereign, great nation of Britain. Well, what does that mean if you can't protect your citizens? It's
1: so alarming to realise the situation that we, as British citizens, are in. What can be done to secure our right to some form of protection?
2: There are people who are campaigning for an actual change of law and to enshrine the legal right to consular assistance. One objection that is raised quite validly is Should we go running for every Brit that, you know, starts a brawl in a bar? And there was an interesting internal review at the Foreign Office, which said, we have to treat cases like Nazanin's differently to those of ordinary criminal cases. Um, They called them complex consular cases. When someone is taken because of not something they have done, but because they hold a British passport. We have to figure out a way of helping those people, because if we don't, then anyone with a British passport is at risk.
0: Tomorrow is Nowruz, the Persian New Year, and in an effort to slow the spread of the disease, at least in prisons, the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei will pardon 10,000 prisoners. Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, a British-Iranian citizen, is now on a temporary two-week release from prison. And her husband, Richard Ratcliffe, is joining me now.
1: Nazanin is currently at her parents' house in Tehran on temporary release, whilst Iran tries to curb the spread of coronavirus in prisons. So some diplomatic efforts by the Foreign Office may be working. But the elephant in the room remains the £400 million debt. Will Nazanin be allowed to return to Britain before it's repaid? Richard Ratcliffe is still looking for answers.
3: Obviously, spoken to the Foreign Secretary and to the Prime Minister on it, they have both assured me that they're working on it as a priority. I wouldn't doubt their word, except that that was a year ago. I'm not sure I understand what the problem is as to why this hasn't been solved, I mean, why this wasn't solved before even our story started.
1: And you mentioned Boris Johnson... You know, the Prime Minister's gaffe a few years ago. Has that led to a sort of a greater sense of purpose in trying to do something about this case
3: from number 10? There's a way in which Nazanin's story became part of, of Boris Johnson's story. So, yes, I think I presume that actually there would be lots of incentives to try and solve us. You know, it is used to justify her detention still quite regularly, quite cynically, of course, by the Iranian authorities on a fairly regular basis. The Prime Minister is a feeling man. He, he's, he's quite warm and charming, close up. Gabriella wrote him a, a Christmas letter not long ago. He wrote a response back. Yeah, so we've got a Christmas card from him on next next our Christmas tree. What did it say? It, it said that he was doing all he could to get her mummy home and that he was sorry it was taking so long. So very genuine. Uh, yeah, Gabriella criticised his handwriting, which wasn't, wasn't as clear as as she felt it should be. And when his son was born, Nasne knitted him a baby bonnet, a little woolly hat, and and sent it over. And she got a card back from the embassy. Again, handwritten from the Prime Minister, just thanking her and saying that it was on his desk and it had moved him um, to tears. So, you know, he cares. But if sympathy was going to get Nasne home, she'd have been home a long time ago.
1: And for you and your family, I mean, how much of a toll has this taken?
3: It's always hard to say because we're, we're in the middle of it. I, I mean, it, it's clearly been all-consuming. I think for Nazanin, yeah, very debilitating mentally. And also, you I mean, Nazanin's now 42. When she was taken, she was she was 37. That has made it much harder for her to have a second child. And then for Gabriella, she'll ask questions about, you know, what's happened to my mummy or when, when's mummy going to come home? Night times is most likely to be tearful. Some films or stories about sort of mother and daughter she doesn't like. For me, an important part of campaigning was for Nazneen to know that she wasn't forgotten, for us to draw on the strength of, of lots of, of lovely ordinary people who just keep reminding us that the world doesn't have to be like this.
1: It must be particularly frustrating, though, to look back at all this time and realise that it, it is just an unpaid debt
3: behind it all. I, frustration, not the right word, demoralised almost, that that actually we couldn't seem to get that in the public domain. You know, the the government did a really good job at just sort of muddying it.
1: That's a really striking part of this story. You know, there have been headlines about Nazanin's case for almost five years now, and yet most people would have no idea that there was this unpaid British debt at the heart of the story. Why hasn't that got more attention?
3: If you go back there, it's in there in drips and drabs over the years, and you know, still we haven't got the government to acknowledge that Nasri a hostage, which I do think is abusive on their part. Because at the beginning they, they really downplayed the abuse that Nazni was going through, and at points of borderline misled Parliament, which comes from a place in part of wanting to keep a soft relationship with Iran, you know, make the space for them to do the right thing, but it enables the abuse. The criticism I would have with the government of the past year is it's almost like they've gone back to the 2016 strategy of hoping and waiting and encouraging Iran to do the right thing. It doesn't matter how many nice cocktail parties or anything else you do. Fundamentally, the Revolutionary Guard have got as a point of honour. This is their money and they want it back. They'll do what they need to do.
2: The fervent hope of her family is that she will be released at the end of her sentence in March, but the fact that she was brought before a court to answer fresh charges in November, the same day that hearing in London over the debt was put off, I think should worry us all. So unless the government unilaterally decides to pay this debt before that hearing, there will be no resolution to it
3: hopes i probably have none and i don't mean that in a bleak way i mean I, I try not to look too far ahead we have a sentence that finishes on march the 7th is she going to be let go at the end of a sentence or are they going to play a game and add some more years and so i'm preparing a plan for what we would have to do and what we would be pushing the government to do if the good news doesn't happen beyond that you know i don't have clear hopes i hope this is over soon i hope you know, life gets back to normal, I hope yeah, I can start to be a normal, normal dad and normal husband again and one day that will happen, but I don't want to get ahead of myself in case we've still got a long way to go
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana and my guests, Nazanin's husband, Richard Ratcliffe and The Times' diplomatic correspondent, Catherine Philp. You can read more of Catherine's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers today were Katie Gunning and Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If you can, please do leave us a review. It'll help new listeners to find us. And if you'd like to get in touch about anything you've just heard, or any stories that you'd like us to look into, then please do drop us an email at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. We'll be back tomorrow. Happy New Year. Do join us if you can.
3: Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.